Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today I have my friend, Graham Cole. Dr. Cole, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast, sir. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'll even call you by your formal title, Dr. Sir. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you uh, catch us up on what's been happening uh, since we talked and uh, any, any updates in your life, marriage, ministry, and ministry projects and those things, sir? Uh, Sure, Dave. Um, Well, I'm now in Australia. I retired from uh, TED's Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and am now Emeritus Dean and Emeritus Professor of Biblical and Systematic Theology there. And I continue to teach uh, via Zoom and now moved to Melbourne, Australia and teaching at a, a college that I was the head of for 10 years, Ridley College. And I teach there um, in the classroom. So I'm teaching theology and biblical theology on two continents at the moment. Mm. And uh, my wife, uh, Jules, is a fashion designer, and she's working in um, out couture bridal wear at the moment. And we've uh, just submitted a book we've written together to the publisher on faith and fashion. How high is a holy hemline? <laughs> Sounds and, interesting. <laughs> And uh, she writes, you know, most of it. And I offer theological reflections like on beauty and stewardship and uh, work. And the final chapter I wrote on the ultimate wardrobe change, which Mm. is to be clothed with Christ. Mm. Wonderful. So we hope this little book will will bless God's people. Mm. So lots of good things to do. In so-called retirement, but you know, professors, <laughs> old professors, they don't fade away; they just become adjuncts. <laughs> oh man, you're funny. You're funny. Well, good to good to hear about what the Lord's doing in and through you, brother. So good to hear that. Well, can you uh, tell us about this this new book? It'll be new when it when this comes out, but. Uh, glorification, introduction, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received. Yes, look, I wrote it, uh, Dave, because there's very little out there. The last uh, book of of note on the subject was written by Bernard Ram, an evangelical uh, theologian, and he wrote that in 1963, and he lamented the fact that he couldn't find another book on it. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, here's a real gap. Um, and when we think we're, according to Paul, we're called, we're justified, we're glorified, the, what's called the, the, the great, uh, the golden chain of redemption, uh, William Perkins, the uh, wonderful Puritan, described it like that, that particular verse. So I thought, we really need to know something about this. I need to know something about this. And so there was a, a, a personal reason for writing it, and there was a reason for thinking, here's a doctrine that needs to be explored and provided to, for God's people to have great expectations. Mm. I think that's the thing, to have great expectations. Yeah. 
it's a it's a really good and accessible book the whole series um you know is is very good and i know you're the editor so i'm gonna pump you up and you know <laughs> and, hopefully and you're Aaron martin. Aaron and, martin. Aaron, and, and or martin yeah and uh he does very, the heavy lifting i must say <laughs> i i recommend this series all the time and the short studies in biblical theology so uh, i'm a huge fan so you know, you just talked about glorification and how it's been neglected and and over the years uh 1964 i wasn't even alive then so um you're welcome for that. Uh, should should Christians be concerned or not concerned by the lack of books written on glorification? Well, I think concerned in this sense. It was Nietzsche, many ways, the prophet of the world in which we now live in the West, hmm. who talked about a madman in the parable of the madman coming into the, the as where the marketplace and declaring that uh, we've taken a sponge and wiped out the horizon. Mm. And if you have no horizon, you, you just can't know your way around. Right. And he thought that had happened, this madman, because we've killed God. So we don't have an horizon. And I think a lot of uh, our contemporaries don't have an horizon. Mm. But Christians do have an horizon. Mm. Uh, the Lord taught us to pray, your kingdom come. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the, my, I think Christians could be concerned if they don't have a biblical horizon to their life, mm. if their only horizon, if they have one, is the next three-day weekend. Yeah. yeah, And nothing more. Or the next day. Or the, or or the, the next day. Or, or a bunch of days going you know, <laughs> together, and then you have a week, and then you have a month, and then you have a year. and the decade. Whereas... Um, you know, yeah. one of the defining characteristics of the Christian mind, according to that writer Harry Blamires of years ago, was to have a supernatural orientation. And he argued that key to that orientation is a view of the future, mm. um, heaven, hell, the new creation to come. Well, I think I think one of the reasons probably why we neglect this subject is we neglect to talk about sanctification by and large. Anyway, we just talk in American evangelicalism about Oops, sorry. I'm not sorry, I guess. Um, <laughs> conversion, justification, adoption. So, I mean, we don't, we, and we talk some about sanctification, but we, we don't talk about, you know, the, the total, you know, positional, the definite sanctification, mortification, vivification, glorification. I mean, we just, we just don't, nobody talks that way, even though we have such a return to the Puritans and Reformed theology. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think you're, book is i think this whole subject is needed and i think more people i hope more people write on it yes uh, i do too because i think there's something what you say it's, it's almost as though as once we've secured someone's decision for christ put it that way then we just move on to the next person <laughs> mm. so what's happened to discipleship and you know if i could put it provocatively dave i think uh, in america and probably australia too uh, we have too much preaching oh wow but not enough teaching. Mm. We have people who try to move us, motivate us, inspire us, but not inform us of yeah. what the mind of God is <laughs> mm. or the whole counsel of God. It took uh, the Apostle Paul two years to get through it at Ephesus, we read <laughs> in, a, in Acts chapter 20. Um, so that's a, uh, that's a real failure, I think, in the churches. Mm. I agree. I mean, you just look at the look at the statistics for biblical literacy in america and i'm sure i don't know if they have stats in australia but i would be interested in that but 
you just see you see the type of preaching and then you see the type of books that are the leading books um even the leading podcasts and it's uh severely disappointing and severely lacking and then and then we wonder just to your point why are we having the problems that we do it's, it's and it, it means that god's people are really vulnerable to every wind that blows around to use Paul's image. And if, the, if we don't have a right doctrine. And what's really ironic is the number one way that Jesus was addressed was teacher. Mm, rabbi. Mm. And according to Ephesians 4, Paul says the risen Christ has given pastor teachers to the church. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, how important is it that we understand the glorious nature of God and his self-existence, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and the rest of his attributes? It's really important that we have a, a big enough view of God as big as the God of the Bible is. Hmm. Um, you know, sometimes when people say, you know, I don't believe in God, you have to ask, tell me about this God you don't believe in. I may not believe in him either because they have such a reduced understanding of who God is. God far less than the glorious God of the Bible. You know, glory means weightiness, majesty, a worthy of honour, worthy of uh, worship. And why it's important to understand who God is, is that our prospect is to be made like Christ, mm. to be a glorious being. Because only a glorious being can really be in the presence of the glorious God. Mm. And so that's why it's important to understand who this glorious God is. Yep. I think what we forget, like to the point like you're making, people forget that we're talking about an eternally self-existing and self-sufficient God. Um, he has no need of us. And yet out of his Trinitarian love, right, his inner Trinitarian love, he sent, he, you know, he, he created us and he sent forth Christ to pay that penalty for us in our place. So he doesn't have a need for us. And yet he chose to, to do that. I mean, hello, somebody mind blown much. I mean, just talking. Yeah, that, about it, We're talking about grace. Yeah. You know, God did what he didn't have to do, which is extraordinary. Mm. Amen, brother. On page 54, you say that the God who pursues his own glory pursues ours as well. How important is it that we understand this truth, not just intellectually, but at a heart level? I think where it uh, affects us at a heart level, it means that God really does love us. God really does want to see us flourish and thrive. Um, God really wants us to be glorious. And that is that in itself is a, a mind expanding uh, idea. Uh, Paul tells us that in Philippians uh, chapter three that our bodies will be transformed to be like His own. That's Jesus' own glorious body. So we're looking for a great transformation to come. And how does that affect me in the present? Well, when you look at the world and the news coming out of, say, the Ukraine, or you see you're in the pandemic, um, for the Christian, to quote the great poet of the 19th century, Robert Browning, the best is yet to be. Mm. Amen. Yeah. I mean, in, in let's, James, let's live like it. Let's live like it. Amen. I mean, and and even in the even in the now, you know, and and in the future, we have joy. 
you know, and Paul, Paul or James and well, both Paul and James and all the apostles, they, they tell us to consider it pure joy, James, uh, to be, to be steadfast in hope in Romans five. And I mean, the hope and the joy that we have aren't, aren't separate. They're, they're joined together because of Christ. Absolutely. Uh, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is how Peter puts it in one Peter one, doesn't he? And my wife was at work the other day and has a much younger person working with her, someone in the twenties. And she, the young woman was lamenting that, there's no future for her, for the world. And uh, my wife was able to share with her something of her hope. Mm. What a difference to that kind of pessimism is the uh, Christian hope that the best is yet to be. Mm. Yeah. And people need that today. I mean, like you mentioned, Ukraine and, um, you know, their individual lives. We, we forget that, you know, that we do have hope and we need to be reminded it again and again and again. And that's why we have the church to be. Exactly right. And I had a wonderful encounter with an Old Testament scholar by the name of Francis Anderson. He he retired back to Australia in the 90s and I was the head of Ridley College at that stage and I employed him as an adjunct. And, you know, he was a, a noted Old Testament scholar and I knew he was not well. And he looked frail, and I met him in the corridor and said, uh, Frank, how are you today? And he said, Graham, nothing that a good resurrection wouldn't fix. Mm. And I think I, I was just blown away by that is, the, that is the Christian mindset. That is that supernatural orientation. That is someone with that horizon. Mm. Yeah. I, I that the love best that. is yet to be. I love that in the book. I was like, Wow, that's 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 good stuff right there. Oh yes, that's just drop. That's just amazing. Nobody nobody talks that way anymore. But I was like, wow, that's really good, really good. Well, how does the prospect of glory motivate Christians to live a godly life in the here and now? I think it um, mod- motivates us to live a godly life now because we have our espoused theology, what we say we believe. Then there's our operational theology, which is how we actually live. Mm. And they need to be in sync, the espoused and the operational. And if we pray your kingdom come, we should live as people who have that joyous expectation. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, no, there's no disconnect between, there's not to be any disconnect, I should say, between what we, what we say we believe and how we live. But I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and I've been a Christian since I was five, I mean, it's true. I mean, e- even if you've been a Christian a long time, if you were to look at your life or your spouse was to look at your wife, well, you say that you believe in in what you preach or teach or whatever, uh, but how, how's it going over there? And it's always <laughs> uh, it's always a convicting thing. Uh, it is. It's a when, challenge to us, isn't it? Or when your because... wife asks you, or when your wife asks you, you tell her about what's going on and, and I'm like, well, you know, the answer to that. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And I tell her the answer. And she's like, that's not what I was looking for at all. <laughs> you know, she, what she wanted to hear was, how is it going? How is it? How am I mm. living that out? Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's a little harder. Just to your That's point. the challenge. And of course there are the three great enemies of living that way. The world, the flesh and the devil the unholy triad, and the world keeps saying to us, you know, uh, conform to me and my values. And the flesh says, you know, 
satisfy me. And the devil says, worship me, <laughs> or some idol that represents me in, a, in an indirect way that you're not aware of. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. In what way is even our suffering to be uh, shaped by Christ? Well, he is the template, and he had to teach his disciples that he had to suffer as the Christ before entering his glory, whereas they thought there'd just be glory. <laughs> Um, and it'll be the Romans who would suffer, the Roman occupying force. But that's the Messianic pattern. It goes back to the servant of Isaiah in um, uh, in 53, Isaiah 53, suffering before vindication. And Paul, that was his experience too. You know, the suffering of these uh, this present time, he says, is not um, worth considering in the light of the glory to be revealed. You know, his outer nature was wasting away uh, physically, but his inner nature was being renewed every day. So it puts it, it puts our suffering, and we're all going to suffer. If we live long enough, we're going to suffer something. Um, it gives a frame of reference in which to place that suffering, that it is not the last chapter in the story that's suffering. Mm. So good because people, I think what people today do, and even in, you know, in American evangelicalism is they, we, we kind of, we talk about, you know, even in reformed theology, we talk about, you know, we would say a theology from above, you know, scripture regulating our feelings and stuff, but we, we functionally operate in a theology from a blow where our feelings run um, at the same level as a train track you know, with, with scripture. And uh, I think that's, I think that's, you know, like when you talk about espousing, it's, it's sad because like you're saying, it just brings to mind the Psalms and Psalms will lament God, mm. God has, God gives us permission to pour out our hearts, to experience life um, with all of its pain and heartache. Of course we have Jesus who wept Um he bled in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, he suffered the full weight of the fury of, of God the Father on the cross. And and the the thing that always blows me away, I never I never get over as the high priestly ministry of Jesus mm -hmm. that he understands everything, and, but he's not like us. You know, he's similar to us, but Hebrews two seventeen through eighteen tells us he's unlike us. And that that just blows my mind, you know, because he that means that he knows what I'm going through and he mm. and his, you know, he's sinless, just to be clear, you know, <laughs> uh, and he invites me, he summons me before him. Um, he already knows what's happening and he summons me to come anyway. It's a great comfort, Dave. And I'm yeah. glad, glad you mentioned lament because on the cross, Jesus drew on a lament psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you seen me? And the psalms in the Psalter, biggest grouping is of these laments. And apart from one of them, they all start, as it were, in the pit, but they end in praise. You know, they ask questions like, how long, O oh Lord? <laughs> Do something, uh, rouse yourself. But it's as though we actually have to 
undergo the journey, um, not, as it were, shorten it, it. Uh, We need to be able, like, like Thomas, to bring put that language on our lips. And God, God, there's no example of God rebuking someone lamenting in the Bible. Because it's, it's God has given us a way of relating to Him in our anger and our perplexity and our pain mm. and our puzzlement, and, and that's the lament. And if I can be a bit provocative again, Dave, Go for uh, it, I remember being taught that prayer <laughs> prayer can be summed up as acts, and you've probably heard this: adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Well, I want to say that if if we leave it at that, we've distorted the Christian life. Mm. Because there's no room for lament, which means that there's an unreality that we're being asked to say, be thankful for my cancer. <laughs> well, I think I'd lament having cancer and pray that God may bring good out of it. And I might give thanks for the good that's brought out of it. But that's a separate story. Mm, yeah. 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 Just because we are to suffer doesn't mean we have to enjoy the suffering no Um, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him says the writer of hebrews amen brother amen really good how does glorification relate to the rest of our sanctification as christians well it's interesting you touched on it a bit earlier that sanctification has at least two maybe three dimensions uh, it means, uh, in the first instance, that positionally we're set aside uh, for God. Uh, in in many ways, the secret of salvation is the secret of real estate, isn't it? So what's the secret of real estate, uh, Dave? Do you know? <laughs> the secret of real estate. Uh, I don't uh, You tell me. You tell me. Lo- okay. Location, location, location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the secret of salvation. Are we in Adam or are we in Christ? Yeah, it's about being relocated. Or Paul says, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's own Son. Colossians mm-hmm. one, and that relocation is positionally to set us apart, sanctify us for Himself. Mm-hmm. And then there's progressive sanctification, which is work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work within you to to do His good pleasure, to perform and do His good pleasure. Philippians two. Um, not work um, for your salvation, but work out your salvation, which you've really received. And that is uh, cooperative in a way that the positional sanctification isn't. That's uh, what God does. But God calls us uh, to cooperate as Jim Packer teaches, for example, and and many others um, to make progress in the Christian life. But then some say there's a final sanctification which is at the very end when we're totally transformed, and that would be also known as our glorification. I think glorification is a bit more than that, but it would include at least that. Mm. So we become the godly person, the Christ-like person that's been the divine intention all along. Mm. Yep. It's really good. Really good. Yeah, I think... I mean, we just, we just don't, it is, it is a sequence of, you know, we are positionally sanctified, then we can put our sin to death. And then, you know, we're secure, you know, because of our position in Christ and that secures us for our future, our here and now and for the future. And I think that, I think that especially we don't do a good enough job 
talking, and this is just my opinion um, as I read books, I don't think that we do a good enough job even talking about our positional sanctification and what that means. And when, when he, that's why many, I think, Christians struggle. And this is my opinion, you know, here. It's just that many people, because of that, struggle with assurance. When mm. they shouldn't, we should, when they shouldn't struggle with their assurance, because again, we, we talk so much in American evangelicalism and books about conversion and justification and adoption. And then, you know, people are like, what, what am I supposed to do? Who, who, we don't ever really get to the, who we are, like you're talking about. And then what does that, what does that mean? And how do I flesh it out? So, so then no, it's no wonder that people in so many churches, and I get so many emails about this, they struggle with their perseverance. They're struggling to know whether they're going to make it to, to glorification. And I just think that's tragic. It is tragic because um, I like to look at it this way. And that is when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. It's not to be turned into, it's to be continued by me. <laughs> In that sense, because we have been definitively set apart for God. That's that positional or definite sanctification. Yes. But the challenge now is we are in relationship, we are in union with Christ. Yes. Are we living like it? And that involves the ideas of, and you mentioned it earlier, mortification, putting to death the things that uh, displease God, and vivification, making sure the things that please God in our life are really alive. <laughs> and another metaphor that Paul uses is we put off the old garments of our pagan ways and we put on the new garments that uh, of Christ mm. providing that Christ provides. So but we're not taught this. This is the you know, that's the spot we need teachers who actually teach us how to to be what we are and to be what we will be. Mm. so good brother so good that's why we're having this conversation <laughs> and i'm glad you're doing it you know, thank Amen. you me too glad to do it how how is our vision as christians vastly different from that of the seculars well for me the poster child of a secular view of the future is the philosopher of the last century bertrand russell mm. in a famous essay called a free man's worship he looked at what science says about the future, and for him, that was the Bible, whatever science of the day said. And the science of the day said that everything will burn up. And so he came to the view that, and I quote, unquote, it's only on the foundation of unyielding despair that the soul's habitation can be safely built. Mm. Now, that cheers you up, doesn't it? Yeah. And when you think of the latest uh, scientific thinking about the future, we're either going to have a you know a big heat death coming up, or a big crunch, or a big chill. Um, there are various theories, but none of them are very <laughs> exciting. Well, from the Christian perspective, it's only on the foundation of unyielding hope, guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that the soul's habitation can be safely built. So that is a very different mindset. Yes. It really is. I mean, my both of my um, practically worked out. Both of my parents have memory issues now. My my mom has Alzheimer's, and my father's had dementia for almost a decade now. Oh, I'm sad to hear that. Yeah, but I mean, th just 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 to illustrate this, it's you have to know you have to know 
who God is and you have mm. to know his goodness. Um, and you have to realize you can't do everything to help help them. And that and that really touches on what we talked about earlier with, you know, the espoused, you say that you know it and do you live it? And the reality is there's some days where I struggle with that because it, it hurts, you know, and I have to do these, these Psalms lament that we talked about the just, and that's okay. It's, it's, they're there for a reason that we can pour out our hurt and our mm. struggle to the Lord. And he, he knows it, he knows it. And that's totally different than the vision that the secularists would, you know, and the what whatever world government supposedly or, or anything like that, that's supposedly coming or any of that. I mean, who knows, but you know, it's, it's totally opposite of everything that our culture is advocating. Mm. And uh, even, even I would say probably much of even Christian worship, Christian books, not your book, but, but, but by and large, a lot of books, we, we have real hope and, you know, people can actually reach out for that hope because we have a real person. That's not, he's not a make-believe puppet uh, up there. He actually really did live and bleed and die. And he rose and he's ascended and he's coming back. So He's coming back. And um, I remember one of my faculty members at, uh, at TED's when I was dean, Dana Harris, who wrote a commentary on Revelation. Uh, the message of that book can be summed up in two words. God wins. Amen. Amen. And that's that's our hope. Um, God will set the world right with a new one. Hmm. So good, brother. But what are some practical applications for the doctrine of glorification for our Christian lives? I think um, one practical application is to review your expectations of the future. Hmm. And uh, it helps. See, I, I'm an Anglican, so I'm in the liturgical church. So we pray the Lord's Prayer every week. So I know I pray your kingdom come. <laughs> but if you're in a church that you don't do that, it, it may be important to make sure that you periodically review what the horizon of your life is mm-hmm. and whether it has shrunk. Yeah. I think that's uh, one very practical thing you can take away. And then I think that um, especially the older you get, things don't work as well as they used to physically. <laughs> um, then that uh, hope of a resurrection and glorification is really is very, very comforting. So there is uh, comfort in this doctrine um, that I think is uh, practical uh, for the Christian. It's going to sound maybe a little bit, weird but i i often think what is sometimes when i'm just sitting there and at the end of the day i think about what's what's going to happen in my what where where's my life headed in the next 30 years if the lord and then and then very quickly i realize well i might not have 30 years well mm. who knows who knows you know god knows of course but then then it leads me to recognize you know what life really is precious life is really fragile <laughs> and and actually these my point is is we as christians should think about that more because it'll help us to enjoy here but also press forward to the future 
But I, I can only say amen to that day. That'll preach, as they say, right? That'll preach. Yes, it will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have to say, help him, Jesus. Help him. <laughs> hey, you also don't have to say, I'll get my best life now, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in what way is union with Christ key to our discussion today? Well, it's interesting. In, in the Lutheran tradition, you know, justification by faith alone is, is central in our understanding of salvation and all other doctrines about connected with salvation get related to it, like eternal life as a gift and adoption and so on. But in the Reformed tradition, it's union with Christ that's central. And those other important uh, doctrines like justification get related to that. Now, why? I think Calvin put it brilliantly in his uh, Institutes, uh, Book 3, Chapter 1, Paragraph 1, not to be precise. Um, (laughs) He says, look, um, while Christ is outside of us, all that he offers offers us is, is out there. But if we're united with him through the ministry of the Spirit, then all that he offers becomes ours. And so you could sum it up is his destiny is our destiny. Mm. Um, Athanasius put it like this, he became what we are that we might become what he is. So where the head is, the members will be also. Mm. And so that is the future. And because we're in union with him, through the spirit. This is one of the most encouraging doctrines that I, I wish, I wish, I, I hope that people that watch this podcast, listen to this podcast will get because like when I, as I, as I got this, like in my thirties or so, uh, it was, it just changed. It was a game changer for me. Um, just understanding because once you see the in Christ in him, in the Lord language, it's just everywhere. You can't, you can't unsee it. And then then you see it's not just this is what we talk about, you know, when we're talking about, you know, it's not just conversion. I'm not just converted to something. Um, and, and I'm not even just growing to be like Christ. And um, we're not even just going towards the destiny of, you know, heaven um, or being in heaven. It's actually this is who we are because of who he is. And I mean, who I, I, I could I could this destroys this whole performance mindset and that so many people pastors have um uh, in even how we're taught i think and not in every seminary but even just in church like just do more be do do this and do that but if we were to actually slow down and realize what we're doing and really try to help people become who they're meant to be um they would actually do far more because they'd have the right motivation. And that's, that was for me, this, this cured my burnout. Mm. Um, totally, totally. I'd never have burnt out again because I've understood this. And, and I know when I am now, I know when I'm going in my own way, on my own power, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not enjoying I actually remember somebody at a church we were in, in Idaho she said, Dave, make sure you enjoy your union with Christ. And I, and I remember that stuck with me. Enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a privilege. And it's a privilege to do all, all of it. So, again, we preaching again. Well, why not? Why not? And, and a wonderful passage to read here is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, uh, almost right to the end, really. Um, and just observe in Christ, in the beloved, all this language of in, in, in is about union uh, or 
Paul uses the language of being clothed with Christ in Galatians 3. I mean, it's that is the most uh, amazing idea when you think about it, but it's not just a, an idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reality. It's one we, it's, we walk by faith here, not by sight, of course. That's really important. Um, but one day when we are glorified, it will be sight because we are able to then see the glorious Christ. And that's that ancient principle of connaturality that I mentioned in the book, that is uh, like knows like. So if we're really going to know uh, God in Christ, we need to become like Christ, which means glorious um, as our prospect. But I take your point about burnout. Again, you know, it is finished or is it to be continued by me? Mm. Do we have salvation or do we have probation? Mm. And I think a lot of Christians live like it is to be continued by me. I'm on probation. There's no joy in that because you can never be confident that you've done enough. Mm. That's so good. So good. That's why my wife stops me and she asked me the question that I mentioned earlier because she wants me to not just articulate the right answer she wants it to come from here wow. she, wants to, she wants to she wants to hear it and so when she says well you gave me the right answer but that wasn't what i wanted to hear and i'm like well, what did you want to hear it's not just the right answer not just a regurgitation of the doctrine but you know uh but the the, the heart where's the heart where is the where's the life where's the fleshing it out the working it out like paul talks about we're supposed to walk i mean we're supposed to we haven't even talked about it but we're supposed to walk it out you know uh to to work it out with fear and troubling before you know the lord so i mean brother we could we could probably just camp on that for like a whole show <laughs> i think we really could you know to walk worthy of the gospel and unfortunately some translations just say live but it's the ancient um, Hebrew idea of uh, walking, halakar, you, you walk in the ways of God, as Deuteronomy teaches. That's how you image God, by walking in his ways. Um, that's the clue to who a person is. And that's why on Mount Sinai in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses says, show me your ways, and we need to walk in Christ's way. We are to walk even as he walked, when John 2 tells us. And so we can lose that idea of Halakai. In the Jewish ethic of the day, mm. there was the Haggadah and the Halakai. The Haggadah was the story. The Halakai was the walk that comes out of the story. Right back in the Old Testament, I'm the God who brought you up in the land of Egypt. That's the Haggadah. Then comes the Halakai. No idols, etc., etc., etc. And similarly, in the New Testament, in Ephesians, the first three chapters are the Haggadah, and the last three are the Halakha. Yep. And now we just went with folks. Now we just went like we we were going nerd, and now we just elevated to super nerd. Okay. Oh, this, is, yeah, this is this is this is turbo nerd. <laughs> turbo turbo nerd. nerd. Nice, nice. I'm going to use that later on uh, social media. We didn't just go nerd. We went turbo nerd. <laughs> All right. Oh, that was good, brother. That was really good. Really good. Where where can people go to find out uh, more about you, brother, on online? I don't think you're on social media. So No, I'm not actually. I'm I'm not uh, a twit. 
And <laughs> great. Now you're calling me names. I'm a twin. Everybody <laughs> thanks. Dr. Cole uh, even said it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not because I found as a public person and a leader of an institution, I had to be, you know, the wrong phrase can sink you, brother. Um, yeah. And so, but if you go onto uh, Amazon and put my name in for books, I'll come up and something about me, and there's an author's uh, author profile. Uh, if you look at um, a Crossway, uh, similarly, you'll find an author uh, profile. And then if you just uh, go to YouTube and put in my name, I have uh, a number of uh, YouTube um, presentations nice. that you can, um, you know, have a look at uh, various things I've uh, tried to say as wisely as I can. Good job. Great. That's awesome, brother. You know, there's a lot. And I always say at the end of these shows, uh, there's always a lot that we could say. And, you know, we, we only are scratching the surface, even though we went uh, Dr. Cole's words, Turbo Nerd. Uh, just as we wrap up, brother, do you have any takeaways? I think my big takeaway is the optimism of grace. And that is because we have a gracious God. We can really believe the best is yet to be for the people of God. Mm. Really good. Really good. Well, brother, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, guys. Uh, Dr. Cole is the editor of the Short Studies in, in uh, Systematic Theology with uh, Dr. Uh, Ora Martin. Um, it is a very good series. I highly recommend it, uh, along with the Short Studies in Biblical Theology. Dr. Cole is the author of this great new book, Glorification and Introduction. It is very helpful. It will help you. And uh, hopefully some other people out there will be motivated to write on this topic as well. So we need it. And thank you, brothers, again for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure and my privilege, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.